Welcome to today's Read Aloud. We are on Chapter 9 of Wish. Come to my house after school tomorrow, Howard said on the bus the next morning. I have a plan. What kind of plan? I asked. A plan for catching that dog. Wishbone, I said. His name is Wishbone. Howard took a bite of the toast he had brought on the bus with him. Whatever, he said. We still need a better plan than a map. I don't see why we can't. I sat up and I grabbed Howard's knee. Don't move, I said. His eyes got wide. What's wrong? Take off your glasses, I said, real slow. Why? Just do it, I snapped a little louder than I'd meant to. He took his glasses off and then squinted over at me. I said, there's an eyelash right there, pointing to one of his thick lenses. I need it. Why? To make a wish. A wish? Yeah, if you blow on an eyelash, you get to make a wish. I took the glasses from him and pressed my finger on the lens. Then I held it up so Howard could see the tiny reddish eyelash. See? I said. Then I closed my eyes, made my wish, and blew, sending that eyelash out into the air where it disappeared, probably settling on the floor with clumps of dirt and chewed gum and trampled spelling tests. What'd you wish for? Howard asked. I can't tell you, I said. Why not? I flopped back against the seat and rolled my eyes. Jeez, Howard, I said. What? I explained to him that if you tell your wish, then it won't come true. Everybody knows that, I added. Howard wiped his glasses with the end of his t-shirt and put them back on. I've made a wish every single day since fourth grade, I said. Howard bugged his eyes out at me. You must want a lot of stuff. I shook my head. No, just one thing, I said. I always wish for the same thing every single time. The minute I said that, I regretted it. I knew what he was going to say next, and sure enough, he did. Well, if you're making the same wish every time, it must not be coming true. So what's the point? Seems kind of dumb to me. I felt my face turning red and that familiar feeling of anger starting to churn in my stomach. Because someday it will come true, I hollered, making a bunch of kids turn in their seats and stare at me. Howard looked at me over the top of his glasses and said, Pineapple. I kicked his backpack hard, sending it sliding out into the aisle of the bus. I confessed to feeling a flicker of regret when some kids laughed at that. But Howard, he just picked it up, brushed the dirt off of it, and said, Pineapple, Charlie, remember? I held on to my mad feelings all morning taking every opportunity I could to shoot razor-sharp glares at Howard or to bump into him really hard over by the pencil sharpener. I never should have told him about my wishes. I'd never told anybody, and now that I had, it did sound dumb. Why would anybody make the same wish every single day if it never came true? Maybe I should give up. But then guess what? I looked at the clock, and it was 11-11. So I closed my eyes, and I made my wish. By the time I got home from school, my mad feelings about Howard were gone, and I was glad he had a plan to catch Wishbone. When I told Bertha I was going to his house the next day, she was tickled pink. She kept telling me how good I was to be friends with Howard, because other kids were so mean to him. Even in church, she said. Can you believe that? I didn't tell her I sure could believe that, with the likes of Audrey Mitchell in that so-called church family. That afternoon, Howard dropped into the seat next to me and said, You can borrow my brother Lenny's bike. What for? So you can get home. It's better than walking. 
He took a smashed bag of potato chips out of his backpack and emptied the crumbs into his mouth. I got a real good plan, he said, you know, for catching Wishbone. And wasn't that just like Howard to go right on wanting to help me after I'd kicked his backpack and been mean to him like that? So when the bus stopped at his house, I followed him and Dwight across the weed-filled yard up to the rickety steps, past the ratty couch, and into that sad-looking house. When I stepped inside, I didn't know where to look first. A hamster cage on the coffee table, a drum set in the corner, stacks of books and magazines lining the walls, some kind of tree planted in a rusty bucket by the window. The floor was littered with blankets and pillows and shoes and board games and plastic bowls with popcorn kernels and pretzel crumbs in the bottom. The walls were covered with crayon artwork on construction paper and school papers with gold star stickers and nice job written on the top. I could see that Mrs. Odom's rutabaga trick with Howard's brother Cotton wasn't working too good because there were lots of drawings with colored markers along the bottom of the walls. Howard stepped over the pillows and stuff and motioned for me to follow him into the kitchen. Mama, he said, Charlie's here. Mrs. Odom turned from the sink and smiled the nicest smile. Well, hey. She wiped her hands on her apron and put her arm around my shoulder and gave me a little squeeze. Howard told me you're his backpack buddy at school and about that wishbone dog. Then she started going on about how Gus and Bertha were so happy to have me here in Colby with them and weren't the Blue Ridge Mountains heaven on earth. After that, she put a cake with pink and purple flowers in a cardboard box from the grocery store on the kitchen table and told us to have some. The next thing I knew, that little kitchen was filled with boys pushing and poking and grabbing at that cake. They didn't even use plates or forks or anything. Just cut a slice and ate it right there, dropping crumbs on the floor, and Mrs. Odom didn't seem to mind one bit. The oldest boy was Burl, the only dark-haired one, loud-talking and friendly-faced, with the shadow of a mustache over his lip. Next was Lenny, in a grease-stained t-shirt. His freckled arms were long and skinny, and he kept punching Dwight and elbowing Burl. Next came Howard and Dwight, who were only a year or two apart and could have passed for twins except Howard wore glasses and had that up-down walk. And the youngest was Cotton, dirty-faced and sticky-fingered, legs all covered in scrapes and bruises and band-aids. Mrs. Odom gave us water and paper cups and made the rounds kissing and hugging each of those boys. It didn't take a genius to know that Bertha had been right about the Odoms and their good hearts. I don't know why, but I felt shy and out of place in there with the noise and the energy bouncing around and the sheer goodness clinging to the walls of that house. Howard and I sat on the couch, on the porch, and he told me about his plan to catch Wishbone. He had it all written down in a notebook and even had pictures drawn with colored pencils. You think it'll work? I asked. Sure. Howard closed his notebook and hugged it to his chest. Then we sat in silence, watching Lenny and Cotton filling a plastic bucket with rocks and dragging it to the side of the yard where they were building some kind of wall. Dwight rode his bike round and round the yard, stirring up clouds of red dust while Burl hollered at him to stop because he was trying to change the oil in his truck. Then me and Howard decided to go look for Wishbone some more, so we spent the rest of the afternoon tromping through the woods and wandering up and down the side of the road, but we finally gave up. By the time we got back to Howard's house... Mrs. Odom was telling everybody to wash up for supper. Stay and have supper with us, Charlie, she said. Before I could say anything, Mrs. Odom added, I'll call Bertha and see if it's okay with her. Mr. Odom's driving a load of lumber over to Charlotte, so you can sit right there in his chair. So we sat at the table, and before I knew what was happening, Howard grabbed my right hand, 
Dwight grabbed my left hand, and they all bowed their heads while Burl said the blessing. He thanked the Lord for nearly everything under the sun, including the deviled eggs on the plate in front of him. Then everybody said, Amen, and dove into that food like they hadn't eaten in a week. Mrs. Odom kept jumping up to get more pork chops or pour more milk, and it seemed like she couldn't walk by one of those boys without patting their shoulders or kissing the tops of their heads. I tried to imagine taking Howard to my house back in Raleigh. So quiet and dark. My school papers would not be taped on the wall, and Mama would not kiss me on the top of my head. There wouldn't be any cake with pink and purple flowers. If Howard stayed for supper, he and I would eat pork and beans or potato chips or a bologna sandwich in front of the TV, and nobody would say a blessing. When it was time for me to leave, I thanked Mrs. Odom, climbed on Lenny's bike, and set off for home. As I pedaled up the road, I turned and glanced back at the Odom's house. I remembered that first day on the school bus when I had seen it, and I thought it was so sad-looking. And then I pictured all those boys in that little kitchen getting loved on by their mama, and that house didn't look one bit sad anymore. <laughs>